Welcome back to the Below Average Joe's MMA Show. Today, it's pretty straightforward. There's not been a lot of big news or anything to come out this week, but we do have a pretty stacked UFC Fight Night card going down in Austin, Texas. It is headlined by number four lightweight Benil Daryush and number eight ranked Arman Saryukian. We're going to get into that fight, what to expect, and what storylines are on the line. No pun intended. I guess that's not really a pun. You guys get the point. And then all the other quick hitters on the card, and there are quite a few of them. Let's get kicking. A top 10 clash in the lightweight division headlines. UFC Austin, Texas this coming weekend. The number four ranked Benil Daryush versus the number eight ranked Arman Saryukian. What's on the line? Title shot, dare I say? Let's talk about it. The 34-year-old, 22-fight UFC veteran, Benil Daryush, number four in the world at 155 pounds versus the 27-year-old, nine-fight UFC veteran, coming in, winning four of his last five, both of which have done this. You look at that left side here, Benil Daryush had won eight fights in a row prior to losing to Charles Oliveira in June of this year. And it had felt like, you know, around the time when number five and six of that streak was occurring for Benny, he should have been in a title shot opportunity and he just never got it. So what did he do? He kept winning. He beat Diego Fajera. He beat Tony Ferguson. He destroyed Matos Gamrot, dominated that fight with Matos Gamrot, someone who has a win over Armand Saryukian. Is there MMA math related to this? No, you guys know how MMA math works. But still, to get huge wins over so many prominent names over a prolonged period of time, we're even talking Drew Dober and Tiago Moises at the beginning of this win streak. These are solid wins. But when he got to the fight where it was, all right, Benil, this time you really will get a title shot if you beat Charles Oliveira. What happens? He loses in four minutes. He gets knocked out by Charles Oliveira. Charles, Charles Oliveira establishes himself as the guy outside of Islam Makachev at 155 pounds, and he was going to get his second crack at Islam had he not been injured in October. We since uh, have seen what has happened with the lightweight division. Islam Makachev is the reigning champion. He just knocked out Alexander Volkanovsky and is now 2-0 over the featherweight GOAT. And Islam Makachev is sitting atop the lightweight throne, just kind of waiting for new challengers. Now, it seems pretty clear that Charles will get the rematch early-ish. Uh, I guess it's kind of not necessarily early because we do have a main event in January, February, and March. So April, which is UFC 300, would be the earliest that we would see Charles Oliveira and Islam Makachev 2. Now, if Benil beats Armand Saryukian here, I'm not necessarily saying that he's going to get a title shot. Like I was saying off the top, it's at least worth mentioning for one half of this fight, though, and I think that is Armand Saryukian. If Armand can beat Benil Daryush, launch himself into the top five, I think there is a world where he does not have to beat anyone else before getting a title shot. I think I view it as Islam versus Charles II will take place at some point next year. Uh, the winner of that could easily face Armand Saryukian next. I feel like the only name that can throw a wrench into that kind of pipeline would be the BMF title holder right now, Justin Gaethje. Um, but it seems unclear about what's going to happen 
with him. He uh, definitely has an argument to be put in for a title shot next, but Dana White seems to be pretty heavily leaning toward toward excuse me the Oliveira and Makachev two rematch. So Armand could kind of maybe sneak his way in, especially if we see Justin Gaethje do another BMF title fight during this kind of law for the rest of the lightweight division. There, there's not a ton of big fights booked atop the top 10 rankings right now. There's another big fight on this card, but it's between number 12 and number 13, Turner and Green. They've got a ways to go before being in title discussion. So this one right here, is kind of spearheading, you know, the the next year of the lightweight division and the title challenger discussion. You add in the fact that Armand arguably only has one loss in the UFC, and that is to the current champion, Islam Makachev, and that was in Armand's UFC debut. That fight with Gamrot, a loss is a loss, right? I understand that. But it was a razor, razor-thin fight that he had. One of the best fights. Uh, of 2022 if you ask me i thought it was an incredible fight an incredible main event that noah and i were so happy to see get spotlighted like it did and he's since racked off two straight wins since that loss uh, dominated demiris migulov and had a bit of a scare in his fight with joaquin silva who's also on this card he did get a finish in the third round however that one though kind of came on very short notice silva obviously not uh, who Armand was training with. He caught him with a really good shot in that fight. But outside of that, Armand looked very good and ended it emphatically with a finish and a knockout. This is a very fun fight, too, on paper in terms of the styles. Benil Daryush, really both of these guys, are so well-rounded. Benil leans more to the grappling if he really has to guarantee success, I, I should say, because he'll get into a firefight. You know, look at his fight with Drakkar Close. He had to come back from the depths of defeat and got a huge knockout there. He has power. He can strike, but the bread and butter can be on the ground for Benil. That's how he beat Tony Ferguson. That's pretty much how he beat Gamrot on top of knocking him down on the feet. So like I said, he has the power. He has the striking. But Armand's, a, I would say, a level up. And not in a disrespectful way, but Armand is just that elite. Uh, and he, he just has such a great all-around skill set. And even against Gamrot, where Gamrot was looking to wrestle, and that's where he had the success, Armand didn't get taken down that often. He didn't look like he just was a fish out of water with the grappling. And on the feet, he's just a special guy. And let us not get mistaken here, when he's on top of you, just ask Joel Alvarez how nasty and dangerous Armand Saryukian is on the ground as well as on the feet. So I look for this to be very entertaining. I, I, I can't envision a world where Benil puts on a performance like he did against Tony, where he can just kind of hold Armand down and not let him up. I, I can't see that being possible for Benil. Benil may have to get down and dirty in this fight to have a little bit more success. And Armand has to be a little bit more careful because Benil will throw the big shots. And if Joaquin Silva can land... I'm sure that Benny Daryush can also land on Armand, but if Armand can stay clean defensively, he can really have a breakout performance. You know, I feel like the Joel Alvarez fight was a big performance for Armand, but in the grand scheme of things, Alvarez is still a relatively unknown to a, a bigger audience. Benil, while yes, is the less 
you know, the least known of the top five in the lightweight division. He definitely has a larger reach of the fight game. People recognize Benil. People know how good that Benil Daryush is. If Armand can come in here in this main event and have a big showing, it can go a long, long way. Am I predicting that he gets a win here, Armand, and gets right into a title fight? Not necessarily. But I do genuinely think, as I said at the beginning, there's a world where he could, and especially if Islam Makachev can retain against Charles Oliveira, assuming that's the fight that happens next, and they get another rematch opportunity, this time between Armand and, and Islam. That's a very intriguing matchup. Name value-wise, Armand compared to a Justin Gaethje fight, nowhere near as big, of course, and I understand that. But if Gaethje stays tied up into the BMF and kind of big fight, you know, money fights uh, circus right now, Armand could find his way in uh, around the middle of 2024, maybe the tail end, assuming, you know, uh, Islam stays on the same kind of schedule of early 2024 and then once in October or November of 2024. But I'm absolutely amped for this fight. This is a great main event slot. It's a phenomenal fight night card that they're getting in Austin, Texas. So I'm very much looking forward to this fight. Benil can kind of prove some doubters wrong. Maybe after that Oliveira loss, people are kind of halting the hype. Maybe they don't quite believe in Benil like they once did. Uh, so he can really put a stamp here and show that he's still hanging around. He's here to stay. He's here to get that title shot that he's been fighting to get for so many years now. And Armand is one win away from finally, after what feels like a very long time, putting himself where I and a lot of other people feel he belongs, and that is in the top five. That is in the lightweight title discussion. This is still a guy that at 27 years old, I feel will hold the lightweight championship or just a UFC championship in general before his fight career is over. So let me know what you think about this fight. What are your predictions? Do you think Benil can bounce back, right the ship, and get back into the win column? Or is it too little too late? He wasn't able to get that title fight when he had the momentum. Is it too hard now for him to get back into that position? Will Armand get the biggest win of his career and catapult himself into the legitimate title challenger discussion, maybe even in his very next fight? Time will tell. That's it for the UFC Austin lightweight main event discussion between Benil Daryush and Armand Saryukin. But it's not over just yet, this MMA Weekend recap. We've got a few quick hitters, maybe not so quick. We, we could go relatively in-depth with some of these fights. It starts, well, I shouldn't say it starts, but the discussion stays in the lightweight division with a changed co-main event, number 12, Jalen Turner, number 13, Bobby King Green. What was originally supposed to be number nine ranked Dan Hooker versus the 13 ranked Bobby Green has since changed to now number 12 Jalen Turner stepping in on a couple of weeks notice after Dan Hooker had to pull out of the fight with an injured arm. I believe it's the same broken arm that he's had in the past. So hopefully he can heal up and we get Dan Hooker back in the octagon in 2024. But this is quite a big one. This is as good as a replacement fight as you're going to get. You know, I saw a tweet the other day that said, is Jalen Turner the best 13-7, and seven, you know, fighter in the world? And I'd have to say that he is. It, that record does not do justice to the skill set that Jalen Turner possesses. He 
is so talented. He's so nasty on the ground with his submissions. He's diverse with his striking because of how long and rangy that he is at 155 pounds. You know, he's coming in to this fight on short notice on a two-fight skid. Losses to Matos Gamrot and Dan Hooker, both via split decision, both can be made clear arguments that Turner was the winner. And had he won both of those, he would be on a seven-fight win streak because prior to those two losses, he had five straight finishes over the likes of Brad Rydell, Jamie Malarkey, Euros Medich. I mean, very top talent guys on the outside of the top 15 looking into the rankings. And Jalen's just able to make easy work of them. And uh, I, I really really like this fight. I think it's an opportunity for Jalen Turner to bounce back, to get a win. 28 years old, he still has a very good future ahead of him. But at 37 on the flip side for Bobby Green, somehow, some way, he finds a way to just be in the best portion of his career ever at this age. You don't see it very often. It felt like in 2020, when Bobby was the king of the Apex, they were calling him. I think he went 3-0 and in the Apex facility in 2020. It felt like he had reached his full potential. It felt like he was hitting his prime just a little bit late. I guess at the time it would have been 34, 35. And then he lost to Tiago Moises. Then he lost to Rafael Fazeev. But then he bounced back and got two big wins, including a finish over Al Quinn. It's like, okay, Bobby Green can still make a run at this thing. But then he loses to Islam Makachev on short notice in uh, February of 2022. Then he loses to Drew Dober, got knocked out for what I believe was the first time in his career, first time at least in the UFC for sure. It's like, oh man, Bobby's just, okay, now we know the ceiling of Bobby Green. We know that he's always down for a fun scrap. He's going to be right on the border of top 15 looking in, and he can beat some of them, but the second you put him against top 10, that's where you know he may falter. And then what's he do? He beats Tony Ferguson by submission in the third round. And then just last month, because, well, I guess you're seeing this on December 1st, but on October 7th, he knocked out Grant Dawson in 33 seconds. And now here I am in December thinking, well, maybe we haven't seen the best of Bobby Green just yet. I've had this in my mind three different times in the last three years. Nobody can do these things to my brain like Bobby King Green. Big opportunity here. I think this fight is just as fun, if not more fun, than what Bobby Green versus Dan Hooker would have been. I think Bobby Green versus Dan Hooker makes a little bit more sense because we've seen a lot more of Hooker than we have of Jalen Turner. I believe there's less to offer on the side of Dan Hooker than there is Jalen Turner. And while I'm having all of these great discussions about Bobby Green, I still feel the same way. He's 37 at the end of the day. There is only so much left to offer. Jalen Turner, on the other hand, can still, in my opinion, make his way to a title fight and, dare I say, even become a champion. And he can still do that before he hits 30 years old. And The, the rate in which he's fighting, the amount of talent, or the amount of talented fighters that he is taking matchups with, and he can restart it here against Bobby Green, who is in the rankings, who is an OG of the lightweight division, been around for over a decade now, or closing in on a full decade, if not. It was one of our trivia questions a few months ago, but I can't remember. 
This is a great fight. Will it be boring? 100% absolutely not. There's no shot that this fight can be boring. It is three rounds, which is worth note because Bobby was training for five, albeit he took this. I mean, this is literally less than two months after his last fight, so he just stays ready. And I think Bobby could fight 10 rounds if he wanted to. Jalen Turner showed a little bit of gas tank issue in that Dan Hooker fight, but that was a blood and guts type of war. I feel like a lot of people fighting at that pace would have been exhausted. So both these guys have that dog in them, and they're both going to need to have that dog in them to get a victory on Saturday night. Speaking of fun fights, <laughs> they just keep on coming because at Bantamweight, we get Rob Font, a top 10 ranked fighter, taking on the number two ranked flyweight in the world, making his debut at 135 pounds, the former flyweight champion, Davison Figueredo. Now, we haven't seen Davison since January of this year, so he's had a nice little layoff about 10 months at this point. And we've not seen him fight someone other than Brandon Moreno since November 21st of 2020. Davison Figueredo has not fought anyone else in over three years except for Brandon Moreno. The saga, the quadrilogy, the first ever in UFC history. It did end in January. Brandon Moreno took the series 2 1 and 1. And now Brandon Moreno is not even the flyweight champion of the world. Alexandre Pantoja is, and he will be fighting later this month against Brandon Roy Val in a rematch. But let's put the flyweights aside for now because Davison is coming up to 135 pounds. The long-awaited move, it seemed for a while it was in the cards. Davison is a massive man for 125 pounds. And if you ask me, I think this is a very, very perfect matchup uh, for him to debut. He's fighting against Rob Fawn, who's ranked number eight in the division, who has fought the who's who of the rankings. Let's just look at his last four. Corey Sanhagen, Adrian Yanez, Marlon Vera, Jose Aldo. I mean, those are all prominent guys at their time. Obviously, Jose's retired, but two years ago when they fought, he was still in the title discussion. We saw Rob in August, literally no, and I did see them in person, as a matter of fact, in Nashville, Tennessee, and what was a snoozer of a fight. Corey Sanhagen got injured in that fight, however, which probably threw off the type of excitement a lot of people were expecting, including myself. So not a good showing for Corey, not a good showing for Rob. It was a short notice thing, though, kind of a wash, but not a wash on the records because Rob Fawn has now lost three of his last four fights. The only win was a big one, albeit, against Adrian Yanez uh, back in April of this year. And for some reason, I just have a feeling that he's going to have a big performance. I, I feel like this is an opportunity for Rob Font to get a massive comeback win over a former champion, someone with a big name, one of the biggest names that realistically Rob Font at this point in his career right now with the state of the division that he can have, and that makes sense, and it is Davis and Figueredo. And I don't know what it has been this week, but I feel like Rob has a chance to really show off his game, his skill set, his power, his technique, and get a big win. I think it's a very tough fight for Davison. I, I know he's a big flyweight, but is he going to fill out well at 135 pounds? Time will tell. The weigh-ins will be interesting to see on Friday. Obviously, I'm recording this before the weigh-ins. I'm assuming he even can make the weight. 
at 135 pounds. We know he's had trouble at 125 pounds. I think it's going to be a great fight. I think it's going to be fun. But if I had to pick a winner right now, I would pick Rob Font. And I would pick Rob Font by finish. And that may be crazy. It may be a hot take. But I think these guys are going to go at it. I think they are going to be hitting each other with some leather. And someone's going to go down. I really do. And with the clean, crisp striking that Rob Font possesses, Davison may not be able to take the power at 135 pounds. I know Rob Font isn't known for that power, but when he puts the punches together, his combinations are so good. He finished Adrian Yanez. He finished Marlon Marais. He's finished Thomas Almeida years ago. And if it goes the distance, we know that he can win these decision fights, especially if they're not the five-rounders. He's one in three in five-round main events. This is a three-round fight against a guy that is naturally smaller than him. I'm very much looking forward to this one. I, it could go either way. Davison could win this fight for sure and make a big splash into 135 pounds, and then all of a sudden it gets really fun to talk about the title picture and what could come next at 135 pounds at Bantamweight, the most fun division in mixed martial arts right now, in my opinion. But I think it's a tall task. I think it's an uphill battle. He's going to have to prove me wrong, and it'd be awesome if he did. I'd love for Davison to have a second life at Bantamweight because it seems the flyweight chapter of his career is officially closed. But in the same breath, it'd be awesome to see Rob Font get this opportunity and capitalize on it and keep himself relevant amongst the title discussion, amongst the top players at Bantamweight right now. I, I think this is the most fun fight on the card. I'm most intrigued by this fight. I think it's going to be electric for as long as it lasts. Let me know what you guys think about this one. And then we got another absolute banger of a fight at 175 pounds. That's not a division, Dominic. 170 pounds as we have Sean Brady, the number nine ranked welterweight, taking on the number 11 ranked middleweight, returning to welterweight for the first time in quite a few years, Kelvin Gastelum, who's always down for a scrap. We have not seen Sean Brady fight since October of 2022 when he got knocked out in the second round by Bilal Muhammad. Before that was a perfect 15-0 and was 5-0 in the UFC, including a big win that he had against Michael Chiesa. Coming back here after a layoff and prior to this year off, he had almost another full year off because he fought Michael Chiesa in November of 2021, fought Bilal in October of 2022. So 11 months between those fights, a full year, uh, 13 months, as a matter of fact, it will be over since his last fight here. Maybe it's good for him. Maybe this break uh, was good for him to kind of reevaluate, go back to the drawing board, if you will, because he definitely still has potential. He's a very good wrestler. He's a very strong physical guy, only 31 years old, right in those prime years. And here's going to be something fun to talk about because Kelvin Gastelum, somehow, some way, is still only 32 years old. He's been in the UFC for so long now, but started so young on The Ultimate Fighter. And he's coming off of a big win against Chris Curtis back in April. Very close fight. Could have went either way. He got the nod. It was an electric fight. One of the best fights of the year, bar none. And he's not been to 170 pounds since, I believe, July of 2016 at UFC 200 against Johnny Hendricks. Now, I could be wrong. He fought Tim Kennedy after that, and I can't remember if that was 170 pounds or middleweight. 
But after that, it was Vitor Belfort, who is a middleweight fighter. And ever since then, has been nonstop at 185 pounds. He's had a little bit less inactivity lately. And it's really just because in 2022, he didn't get a fight in at all. But really, outside of that, he's been pretty active. Only fought once in 2020, but not a lot of people got to fight in 2020. So he's getting a second fight in of this calendar year. Looking to bounce back to 170 pounds in a big way. Kelvin should have never been at 185. Let's be honest, people. He was so undersized there, but he couldn't ever get the weight cut down comfortably to welterweight. And now he seems to have everything under wraps. He feels very confident. Again, recording this before weigh-ins. So that's something to keep your eyes on. Let's see how he looks this afternoon uh, at weigh-ins at 170 pounds. I think assuming he makes weight, this is a great fight between him and Sean Brady. I think it's fun. Kelvin's very well-rounded, has great boxing. Sean Brady, as I already discussed, a great wrestler. Got into a bit of a brawl with Bilal Muhammad, something none of us saw coming. And uh, he was going for it and got put to sleep. But again, the long layoff could pay dividends, or it could be to his detriment. Time will tell. We're going to find out Saturday night. Big fight at 170 pounds. Sean Brady looking to bounce back, get into the win column get back into the win column, I should say, and prove to people that he's still very much a player in this division. And for Kelvin, he can reinsert himself very fast. You know, he's fought for an interim title against Israel Adesanya at 185. He's very fan-friendly. People love watching him fight. He's always in fun fights. He can very much, with a win, become top 10 and one or two fights away from a title shot. Those are all the fights I wanted to discuss in depth. Again, this card is stacked. That main card, that four-fight stretch is unbelievable for a free fight night card. So Austin, Texas, enjoy it. I'm sure it's going to get rowdy down there. It's going to be very fun. Everything's bigger in Texas, and the UFC's proven it with a card like this. I mean, Punahele Soriano and Dustin Stoltzfus is starting the main card. That's going to be a banger. Clay Guida is fighting on this card for the 150th time. Misha Tate is back and fighting Julia Avila. That's a top 15 Bantamweight matchup. I know a lot of people don't care about women's Bantamweight, but we're in the post-Amanda Nunes era. Something's got to give. I know they're on the outside looking in, but it's still an important fight nonetheless. And Misha, it's always she's always going to have eyes on her, regardless of what people may think is left in the tank. Cody Brundage is on this card. Joe Selecki and Jokar Close is a low-key banger. Steve Garcia and uh, Mel Costa. Rodolfo Bellato and Ihor Poteria. I mean, there are fun fights through and through that are going to deliver some action. I think we're going to get a lot of finishes. And if there ain't a lot of finishes, it's because we got so many people with that dog in them on this card, which could mean a lot of fantastic fights. This could be one of the best cards of the year in terms of the action we get on paper. A lot of intrigue, a lot of things at stake. Again, in those four in-depth breakdowns that I just gave, so give me all your predictions and thoughts on those fights and what you think is going to happen in Austin, Texas. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'll catch you on Monday for the MMA Weekend Recap.